Blog Talk Radio. Showtime triple header. Obviously, we didn't get the Ben 
Eubank Jr. fight for obvious reasons. We'll, we'll see where that goes, you know, how long it will be. Is it canceled or is it postponed? Um, and the process that, you know, Ben and, and, and everyone's going to have to kind of come to, I'm sure the UCAD will, uh, you know, put them under strange uh, testing more than likely. I don't know, though. We'll see. Uh, but, yeah, we definitely will talk about, you know, Fondura and Ocampo, which actually turned out to be a pretty good fight. You know, I really thought that it might have some two-way moments for, like, four to six rounds, and then Fondura would finish him off, but that was not the case. The co-feature, um, you know, Adamas, Carlos Adamas looked damn good against Montiel. I really thought that was there was a fun fight again, um, but the same result uh, for Fernando Martinez. So, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that Showtime triple header. Like I said, this is a jam-packed weekend. ESPN very busy with the Cambosis during the night and during the day on ESPN+. Plus. They'll have that double header extravaganza. Shields and Marshall and Mayer and Baumgartner. I'm really looking forward to those fights. Obviously, you know, we got um, we got it taken away from us, uh, you know, because of the Queen passing and everything. But we were so close to getting it. And then, like I said, the, you know, the rug got swept up under. But it's still, I mean, it, the Marshall uh, Shields line has held pretty well. I mean, the tops I'm seeing, um, as far as an underdog is, like plus 108, Marshall. I mean, that is a 50-50 fight on paper. You still have Baumgartner, you know, hanging around that plus 200 all the way up to, say, plus 225, plus 230, I see it. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good fights this weekend, some interesting fights that kind of have to take place, like Devin Haney beating Cambosis. Can Cambosis get by that jab? <laughs> Um, and all the advantages Devin Haney has in that. But that will set up the potential fight if Lomachenko comes through his fight against Ortiz. And obviously Wilder, you wonder if Usyk actually is going to be in the crowd there. But Wilder, whether it's, you know, Andy Ruiz or whoever would be next. So there is a, a lot to talk about, no doubt about it. Before we get into the ring and talk about it, if this is your first time listening to the Rope Dope Radio podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash rope dope radio. However, you don't have to go to blog talk and rope it open. Download the show directly there. Listen to the browser. You can find the rope dope radio podcast platform on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, uh, Spricker, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Player FM, and a variety of other. Uh, platforms. While you're at it, why don't you head out over to thegruelingtruth.com. And one more thing, if you're thinking about cutting the cord or you have, you're not quite happy, i got something for you. It's called Direct TV Stream. It's the best of live TV and on demand. There's no annual contracts, no hidden fees, and for the time being, you get to enjoy regional sports networks without the additional fees, which is becoming more difficult as we know. Um, the prices start as low as $49.99 for the first two months. And if you decide to choose the choice or ultimate package, that gives you three free months of Showtime, Stars, Cinemax, and uh, Epics. And uh, that, that's $160 value, so that's a uh, three-months value there. DirecTV Stream, okay. So, yeah, that was a weird thing that happened at the beginning of the show. 
think we're good to go. I haven't heard any, uh, you know, folks. Usually, if you can't hear me or if it's kind of messed up, I usually get some messages or text messages or something. So I think we're we're pretty good there. Um, I do want to kind of give my take, you know, on this weekend, uh, you know, down the down the road here, just a, a short little bit as we kind of uh, go in and out. Like I said, Al Dawson, I haven't been able I haven't been able to get a message back from him. I just messaged him a, a little while ago. So I believe he's on. That's the boxing uh, correspondent from Insider. He's got a variety of stories lately on uh, the Spence Crawford, Tank Garcia, a couple other items too. I wanted to get his take on the Ben and Eubank Jr. Uh, debacle that happened over the weekend. But let's start <clears throat> in the ring and in the main event, um, you know, I, I thought this was kind of the the least fight as far as expectations. I was, you know, really looking somewhat competitive. Um, and then Fundora would eventually TKO him is what I kind of thought. But that wasn't the case. Not to say that it was a, you know, um, a super competitive fight. But it's funny. You know, Fundora came out and was mostly jabbing at range a whole lot, especially in the first two rounds. Um, and, and then Ocampa, you know, started landing his loopy shots, his loopy left uh, hook, like maybe a minute in, landed really hard, landed some other pretty good shots during the third enough to give him that round. Um, the fourth round, that that's where the fight just went inside, right? You had Fundor at range. Later in the fight, you had him at range a little bit. But it basically became what the old-timers say, that the phone booth fight. That's exactly what it was. Um, it's so kind of consists of Ocampa, you know, combinations to the body a lot of times. Every once in a while, those looping shots to the head. But the short inside hooks with both hands from Fundora and then the uppercut, especially the left uppercut, um, that was kind of the trend for most of the fight after that, the fifth round. Uh, a couple more of those uppercuts, um, along with his jab and hooks. Like I said, there was just times in the fifth, sixth, that's where, you know, the combination punching Ocampa, maybe he wasn't doing as much damage, but he was definitely busy. Sixth round, really close round. Fifth round was very close, too. Um, it was two-way for a while, but I think down the, you know, down the stretch, the flush shots really started to land, landing at a higher rate, no doubt about that, uh, for Fundora. And uh, then, like I said, in the seventh or eighth, somewhere in that range, he kind of started jabbing at range a little bit, uh, kind of like he did in the first few rounds. Uh, the eighth round was just phenomenal. And this is what was kind of crazy about referee Jack Reese. And we all know he loves to involve himself fights. And sure, sometimes, you know, you do have to do that as a ref, but we know he likes to do it a whole lot. <laughs> uh, and it was no different. I mean, you had a busier Ocampa or plenty busy Ocampa showing that he's landing punches. I guess they weren't landing hard enough for him. Um, and then, you know, with the jab and the hooks, like I've been saying, the, the harder shots were fun during that eighth round, but it was a fun, fun round. And in the ninth round before it, I think it was before the ninth round, Jack Reese is, you know, involving himself so much in the corner and right before the round's going to start uh for the ninth round 
he's speaking to accomplish, you know, throwing combinations and stuff. This is what you got to do. Like, just stop, dude. It's it just he was throwing. You mean throw harder? <laughs> That's what it was kind of. It was kind of weird, and it was funny because Okapa had a nice, uh, you know, bounce back round. He actually uh, um, landed those combinations to the body. Few headshots in there. It was a very competitive round. That that ninth ninth round could probably go either way. Um, more competitiveness through the tenth, uh, but I thought the cleaner shots once again, still pumping that jab. Fundora, same with the eleventh, the twelfth. He basically he didn't whitewash him by any stretch, uh, but it was it was competitively one sided. If that makes sense, I don't think it was uh, six to six or seven to five. Um, Okampa definitely won rounds. The judges had it 119, 109, 118, 110, and 117, 111. So, you know, 11, 1, 10, 2, and, uh, you know, in 9, 3. So it was, you know, I thought it was competitive there. Even though you had Okampa, you know, he wasn't landing the flushest, cleanest shots. We know that. He was busy, though. Um, you know, he threw 869. Uh, punches landed 22 percent landed 192 out of 869 259 out of 871 at a 30 percent clip a little higher of course for fundora fundora caught up to him and surpassed him majorly uh in the mid to late rounds with his body work um 57 to 27 overall so a good win um sturdy sturdy win here uh okampa Definitely showed to be game. I mean, I think you can't really say much about that, you know. So, yeah, I, I thought that, uh, you know, he looked pretty good. I, I was, uh, like I said, I was kind of expecting a TKO. Um, but Okampa showed out pretty well, if you ask me. So, um, a good performance. Turned out to be a little bit more competitive and longer of a fight than a lot of people thought going in. Not too many people for, you know, obvious reasons. If you look on paper, Okampa doesn't have a bunch of good wins or whatever. And the only time we did, you know, see him step up. Now, given this was step up to the elite level, but, you know, he got he got sliced and diced real quick. Like, right, he got taken, he got shipped up or packed up and shipped out. Uh, that's what my grandpa used to say. Uh, but, no, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a quick fight, whereas he, he definitely rebounded. And he's still, like, young enough to where if you just kind of move him laterally and then step him up, maybe not to the highest division, 154 is definitely, you know, a busy you – know, something he could stay busy with over the next few years, that's for sure. So we'll see where he goes. Now, Fundora is obviously waiting for a bit, um, you know, against the winner, uh, presumably anyway, in his mind, I'm sure, um, for Charlo and uh, Zoo. Tim Zhu and uh, Jermel Charlo, which is supposed to happen in the first quarter of 2023. Uh, looking forward to that fight. That should be a good fight. And then Fundora should be right in the mix. Now, maybe he'll have another mandatory in that time, or, or maybe Charlo drops one of the belts and he fights somebody for it. I don't really know. There's obviously a lot of good fights. And Fundora still has, you know, quality opposition. He could fight Harrison. He could fight a variety of, uh, you know, Good opponents there at 154, just being that he's, you know, involved in the PBC, and we know how deep they are at 54. So, overall, like a, like I think they said, you know, work them, a workman's-like uh, outing, and, and I'd say that's pretty accurate. 
I would say that's uh, exactly accurate. Um, as far as the co-feature, now I thought this, like many, would be a banger. Uh, you know, Carlos Adamos against Adamas against Juan, uh, Juan Montiel. You know, it's crazy. I forgot. I just was kind of, I was kind of distracted. I was talking to somebody when I was when I had this broadcast on and I was looking at a different college football game too, like between the fights. And I saw some dude talking about Jake Paul. I heard this quote. We all, another person I, well, two people that I was you know, watching it with, we were like, what did he say? Because he said, uh, talking about Jake Paul, he said he's got a chin on his head. <laughs> it was like between fights that, I forgot who that guy was. Like I said, I was vaguely paying attention. I'm assuming he was like, was he like a was he an MMA guy, Bellator guy, or was it a guy that? Uh, that's how ignorant I was to who was talking. By the way, who they were interviewing, or is that like a a YouTuber coming up and he's going to fight him? I don't know. I think it's. I want to say Bellator, but that's I, like I said, it was kind of in the background between the fights. I just pointed that out randomly. But anyway, Adamas. I mean, wow, you know. The first round was really slow. I didn't expect it to be that slow. And it's funny that, you know, we had a good opening <laughs> bout uh, for the crowd as far as on the, you know, on the broadcast because there was that YouTube stuff. Um, I mean, they just were booing right away. That Southern California, you know, love uh, in their own way. This boo right away. Even in that Fundora, there was like a little light spot. Boo. It was funny as hell. But anyway, um, you know, mostly, you know, just barely jabbing, basically, in the first round. Adamas uh, kind of early in that round was getting his jab, then went to, you know, kind of got some really nice body shots, probably like 6 to 80 through a couple of lead left hands that were landing. They were really straight and finding a home. Um, and by the third round, he was landing heavy shots, heavy hooks, um, lead left hands, whether it was a hook. Or, um, you know, a straight left hook. And then the right hook as well. I mean, the right hook was punishing him. I mean, in the I think in that third round, or was it the fourth round, he landed like back-to-back left hooks. Uh, just followed it up with more right hands. Kept following it up. And by that time, Montiel looked like he was in pretty bad shape. Um, was it an early stoppage, TKO? I mean... You know, I'd, I'd be okay if someone said that that was an early stoppage. Yeah, I could see that. Um, Montiel really didn't. I'm not sure how many, you know, like how many moments did he even have in this fight? Uh, he was getting lit up pretty well. I thought they could have kept it going. But I don't, you know what I mean? I don't know how far that would have been, you know, and what that would have meant, to be honest with you. Um, I just think that, it was, it was just not good. Look, now, here's the thing. Adamus is known for in the first, you know, three, five, six, seven rounds looking really good and then gassing a little bit, fading on some of his performances. And that's kind of what we thought, hey, if Montiel could make it to the second half of the fight, then I think he would close stronger. You know, he can take punishment. Um, you know, he definitely wasn't, like, out on his feet or anything like that. He was he – definitely stung and, and hurt but how hurt was he it's it's hard to legislate that but it did feel like they could have let it go a little longer um but would it you know what did it meant like montiel get back in the fight you never know it is boxing but 
either way, it was a dominant, dominant win. And I didn't expect him to, to handle Montiel like that. So now, you know, it'll be interesting to see what's next for him. Are they going to make the uh, Jamal Charlo fight next? Uh, will he get a big fight waiting for that type of fight? I really don't know if, you know, when Charlo's going to fight. I'm assuming in the first quarter next year, unless, well, I suppose he still could fight uh, in November or December, now that I think about it. I don't, you know, he's been out of the ring for a while. He had that back injury. He's supposed to be healthy and ready to return. Um, he had some outside-of-the-ring issues that turned out not to be issues at all, <laughs> and it was just a bunch of uh, nonsense. And so he's clear there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't know if he contractually owes, you know, Suleki a fight, and he's just stuck in that contract. That I have no clue. Uh, but it would be great to see Carlos Adamas and, and Jamal Charlo. I think that'd be a big fight. And, you know, we'll see where Golovkin goes. Maybe Golovkin will look towards Eubank Jr. now that he's free. Then again, they may be able to get that fight still happening in, by the end of the year. I mean, they had a bunch of the tickets sold already. They had the press going crazy with it. You know, it was a big fight. So, now, Golovkin and Eubank's a big fight, too. Don't get me wrong. But it's just not as big, I'd say. It's still do a great crowd and all that. But you wonder, because my point is, really soon here, we're going to find out about um, Golovkin, if he's going to fight Arislami Lara or not. And now that I look, I mean, it's, October 9th, he didn't have that many days. So that tells me something's probably going to get announced here soon. I wouldn't doubt if it's tomorrow morning or something like that. But he does have to make a decision. But is it the WBA? I think it's the WBA. Uh, otherwise, you know, if he wants to drop the belt, then Arislandi Lara has that belt. And that would be a good fight for Charlo or, you know, um, Adamas, whatever. But Golovkin and Lara and Charlo and Adamas and the winner fight each other, that'd be fine, too. We need some action. We need more action, bigger fights at middleweight. It has been uh, very lackluster talent, but lackluster because we haven't been able to get, you know, those guys in the ring. Now, as far as the uh, the opener on the broadcast, Fernando Martinez and Jerwin and Cajas. Um, and Cajas actually won the first, I'd say, two rounds um he was doing a good job landing his jab um and just overall i'd say the better shots martinez kind of came on in the third and fourth round landing those those short punches on the inside after like attacking or the looping you know left hooks and looping shots as he comes in uh you know how he likes to do that the fourth round was more like a two-way you know, especially late, there was a lot of action, but I'd say Martinez landed the cleaner shot. Now, the fifth round could have went either way because you had those leaping. He actually, Martinez, land, and it's going to get him in trouble at some point, but he landed this leaping jab, followed it up with the right hand, but the hooks to the body uh, by Derwin may have been enough to win that round. Then I thought for a, 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 the sixth, seventh, and eighth, that was where Martinez started taking this over. You know, the clubbing shots on the inside. Um, sixth round, the last minute or so, was really fun, actually. Um, just outgunning him with combination punches, these punches, these quick little combos, then he'd get out, or he'd let Jerwin 
kind of uh, attack with the with a punch, kind of either take an angle, take a step to the side, and then land his you know punches. And sometimes they were hard combos. Sometimes they were counter left hands, uh, and like I said, hooks. Um, other times they were like shoe shine. The I'd say, I'd say he, you know the the eighth and ninth. Those were clear Martinez rounds too. Uh, he just closed, especially the ninth. That was a competitive round, but he closed much stronger, landed a big, big right hand to the head. And then the tenth and eleventh, you know, you can see Martinez kind of go into the body. Uh, and even when, you know, you'd see Ancajas miss a punch, and then like I said, he'd fire back on him. And uh, just more attack, quick combinations. You know, right around nine to three, ten to two, something like that. Uh, one scorecard had it 119-109. The other had it, uh, or two of them had 118-109, or, or 110, excuse me. Um, there were some head clashes. I forgot to mention that so much so that they did take uh, Jerwin to the hospital. I remember them reporting that. Um, so overall, though, uh, you know, obviously Fernando Martinez, I didn't necessarily expect him to throw another 1,000 punches and land 400. So I got to give Jerwin uh, some credit there to make this fight. It seemed like within the rounds more competitive. 185, he landed out of 785 thrown, so he outthrew him this time. Uh, but Martinez 241, landing 36% of his overall shots. And like I said, mid to late that body work, 54 to 14, pretty much you know sealed the deal. Um, you know when it came to that. So overall, though. Um, a good performance. We'll see, you know, where Martinez goes. He pulled that big upset, and then he, you know, he didn't make a, a mistake, and, 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 you know, uh, he followed it up with a, a nice victory over him, the full uh, 12 rounds. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they can get him to fight at 115. You know, if he was with, you know, on the zone or something, it, it'd be a little bit easier. So we'll see if he is, in fact, a guy that they can get some guys to come over. Um, or, you know, maybe he'll have to go to a different platform uh, if those big fights, you know, are uh, are offered to him. So it'll be kind of interesting to see. Good, really, you know, solid performance, I'd say. And uh, he's an exciting fighter. It was a, it was an entertaining fight. Um, also on the undercard, as far as YouTube and Facebook. Um, Edward Vasquez did win by split decision. He definitely, uh, you know, started the fight really, really well. Um, And, uh, you know, he definitely had to kind of, you know, work for it. You you saw uh, Victor, what is it, uh, Slavansky. He definitely made a run back in this fight. He made it, you know, competitive. That's for sure. Um, It just... I don't know, like down the stretch of the fight, you know, right in the maybe six, seven, eight, you know, he was he was really busy. He was really, really busy. And you could see Vasquez started to fade. You know, he started to fade in that. Um, later in there, I think it was, this was right around mid-rounds. There was a nice left hook. It was an exchange. Really, really big, big shot. I remember that one. Um couple of big right hands as well um and it, that sixth round was really fun because I, I remember there was a left hand uh that Slavansky 
or Slavinsky uh, landed as well. I mean, they they were going back and forth. Uh, Vasquez kind of early in the fight, early to mid, was definitely landed his big right hand. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good you know good fight, solid fight. And then the main event. Oh, and Fundora's uh, sister won as well. I should mention that. And then uh, Kabalaskis, the Mean Machine, uh, beat Fox pretty cleanly early. What was that? The third round knocked him down twice. I, yeah, he knocked him down twice. Um, looked like he was really going for it, but I got to give credit to Fox. He was like, hold on. You know, he, he managed. It didn't look good for him. I mean, when you're knocked down twice and, you know, the Mean Machine was definitely following up on him, looking like he was going for the stoppage. And uh, Fox was able to be on the outside and not get hit with that many more big shots so he could survive. You know, that's basically what it came down to. He, he basically just kind of calmed down <laughs> and, and contained and you could say spoiled the fight. Used his length. Obviously, we could say spoil the fight, but when he get knocked down twice like that, he was like, okay, that that's not working. Let's try something else. So, um Fairly one-sided fight there. Big win for Kabalaskis, though. He definitely has plenty of, uh, um, you know, speaking of guys on that, like, second-tier level at 147, he's got plenty of guys, uh, you know, to uh, to do his thing. So, so it's it'll be interesting to see, you know, where he goes next. But, like I said, plenty of guys at 147. And it was good for him to get a – a nice win. He had lost to Crawford, lost to Ortiz. He needed a, a nice win. And even that uh, going further back, um, I think his last four or five fights, he had two losses in a draw going back to Ray Robinson. So that was a good performance, man. He, he you know, he, he almost looked like he was going to get him out of there. Credit to Fox for surviving, though, and changing it up. But overall, you know, Interesting fights, competitive fights, some of them. Like I like I was saying, the co-feature turned out to be more one-sided than I thought, even if, you know, if it was an early stoppage. Um, but it wasn't that competitive, you know. But the main event had more competitiveness, I guess, and than, than a lot of us thought. Um, Okampa definitely brought it and, you know, gave a good account for himself to an extent anyway. Um, so let me, let me get here. So we're going to bring in John to the fold. Like I said, I haven't heard back, uh, just yet from Al. Maybe something came up. Maybe we got, you know, a little cross there as far as what time we were going to do it or what days, but that's okay. We've had Al on before. We'll have him on in the future. He may, you know, he's still got plenty of time to jump on, but, um, before we break down, you know, the fights coming up this weekend with Haney Cambosis 2, the Wilder, Deontay Wilder, Robert Hellenius, which is the co-feature, Kayla Plant and Anthony Durrell. Uh, a couple other undercard fights we'll talk about. Of course, Shields Marshall, Mayor uh, Baumgartner. We got a lot of action this, this weekend. Before we get to that, though, we'll start with some recap and let John into the fold and see what he thought about that and, you know, give his his uh, preview and predictions for what's coming up this weekend. So go ahead and bring in John to the fold here. What's going on, John? How you doing? Chris, how, how's it going tonight? Uh, good to be back again already. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot for coming through. 
kind of on some random nights, but uh, yeah, we're back for sure. Um, had to do a show kind of at a you know weird time just because I am going to go up. You know, Wilder's uh, basically my my I think his second my one of my nephew's second favorite fighters, and uh, my other nephew really likes him a whole lot too. So I'm going to go up there and watch the fight with them. So they're all anticipating, uh, you know, Wilder's return and whatnot. But uh, before we get to this weekend, uh, why don't you give your thoughts on uh, that Showtime triple header and, and maybe some of the undercard, you know, YouTube stuff too. Yeah, kind of, um, for, for me, kind of mixed emotions. I was thinking about it as it ended and then today. And the reason I say that is, you know, it, it was, for, for what we've been getting, it, it was, you know, one of the better cards of the year and, and, and definitely had some entertainment value. But, you know, on, a, on an anecdotal level, and even though it's still anecdotal, it almost doesn't feel like it because I saw it so much. You know, last night and today through all my social medias, I saw comments from hardcore fans, some people who are even commentators, um, you know, who have podcasts, things like that, um, who are in the Eastern time zone and not PBC haters or anything like that. And I saw almost a universal theme of, I, I can't, I can't stay up in the East through all these things anymore. I fell asleep. Somebody tell me how it ended up. And, and these are, these are hardcore people. Again, not PBC haters, and I saw it did so start much of late. it. I mean, it was what yeah. ten Eastern is when that card ten, started, I believe. Ten Eastern triple header at ten Eastern. Um, yeah, triple header. I too, saw, yeah, that's a good call. I saw it's a bad combination. Again, these are, yeah, these are not PBC haters because you know I, I would throw that out if it was those type of people, but but it wasn't. That's why it caught my eye. Um, one one I even saw saying I'm done. I'm canceling my Showtime. Um, these, but you know, I, I can kind of relate to it. That's why I was paying attention. Like you're saying, it, it's just, it's just too late. You know, I'm falling asleep through all these things anyway. Um, you know, and, and a lot of them aren't that, aren't that compelling for it to matter. I mean, you know, that, that's maybe a little extreme, but you know, these are not things getting high ratings as, you know, we've been talking about as it is, um, you know, so you get like, you know, you talk about the end Kajos Martinez and, you know, there's entertainment value there. And, and look, you know, I'll, I'll watch, you know, smaller fighters and good fights. I, I've never taken it to that extreme. Um, but, but here's where there is some problem. You know, you, you've got, so, so you got a hunt on the main card. You're starting at 10 Eastern. You've got 115 pounders and, you know, they're going 12 and, 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 you know, Chris, you and I have said that about when you get down to weights that low before. But but it is worth saying again. I mean, a lot of punches thrown, um, you know, entertaining fight. But, you know, you know no, nobody nobody's getting, you know, nobody's getting dropped. You don't have those momentum swings. You know, we, we talked about it where even though it was a good fight, where we both agreed that, you know, you get like Estrada – Two be, being a little bit overrated as a fight because you know you you didn't really have either of them getting hurt with those kind of momentum swings where you're like oh this guy's in trouble you know he might go 
and this was another one of those types of fights, you know, even as far as 115 goes, you know, Martinez isn't a puncher and, you know, and chaos, you know, he's had his moments like that, but, but he's, you know, he, he was in a lot of boring fights before he got on this three fight or so and a very entertaining run, which was very entertaining. I, I do agree with everybody there, but, you know, I think PBC, you know, they, they picked them up from top, top rank, you know, invested a little bit in them. I, I think we probably got this rematch because they were, they were probably hoping to turn this one around. It's just, is my guess. And he, he couldn't, he couldn't do it. So, and, you know, he's at an advanced age for those weights now too. So probably, you know, end of the road in the spotlight for him. And as you said, you know, with the boxing politics and the other 115 pound guys fighting on the zone, you know, who, who are they going to really have Martinez fight? So I, so I guess even though the fight was entertaining, how I would wrap that all up is you, you kind of do have to say it in hindsight, why, why starting at 10 East did you open with 115 pounders? You know, this, this is really where boxing TV and, and even for, for fans seeing it live, you might have to think about changes. You know, Chris, you know, I, I have talked about this before. They haven't done it much since, but it did work when it was done. Like you go back to when PBC wanted to get Errol Spence exposure and they had him fight Bundu, you know, after the U.S. Olympic team played on NBC, you know, when they had a time by and, and they went right to that fight. In other words, as soon as the game ended, they went right to Spence and Bundu and Spence got a huge rating. Um, you're sure it was leading, but, but the, but the objective was obtained a huge rating and, you know, it got known by a lot of people and with those kind of exposure with that kind of exposure and, and, you know, has been on pay-per-views. That's kind of what I'm saying is like, what, you know, what, what are we, what are we really doing here with, with a 115 pound opener at, at 10 o'clock in the East that goes 12. So then, you know, which I can then segue into the next fight. You got another great performance by Adamas. Uh, that's two in a row for him. Different types of performances really put some hurt on Derek Vianchenko, but but mainly outboxed him, which was totally out of character for him. And then he, you know, he bombed out Montiel here, who who had been on a pretty good run. Um, I loved the way Adamas was coming in after that Derek Vianchenko performance, but you know, as you said, you thought maybe Montiel be a little more competitive, but, but that was okay in this situation because that was just a great performance by Adamas. And, you know, in the boxing world today, I mean, two fights in a row like that, we're not seeing that type of thing that much nowadays. So, you know, that win over Derry Vyachenko, then this knockout win over Montiel in middleweight, one of the traditional glamour divisions in boxing and a traditional division, but that's not deep right now. He's really excellently positioned. Um, if PBC can't bring the Lovekin over, um, you know Jer- Jamal Charlo needs people to fight. Um, that's a that's a, that's that's shaping up to be a pretty good matchup. That, that'd be a, that'd be a pretty good fight. Let's hope they hope they think about things like that. And um, you know, just for one moment, touching on the undercard, the 
off Showtime undercard. I, I agree. You know, Kavialaskis, that, that was a good performance for him. You know, Fox fought extremely well against Maestre, got w- robbed as big of a robbery as you legitimately will ever see. Um, so bad it should be keep getting talked about. I saw one article, you know, right after the fight saying, Fox has now lost three fights in a row. Well, you know, you got to go by official decisions. And a lot of times boxing subjective with the scoring, like I've said, a lot of times just that, but not with that Maestre Fox fight. I mean, that that was just straight robbery. I mean, the guy clearly got robbed. So that's not accurate to really say he's lost three fights in a row, even though that's official. So I thought he, I thought he might give um, Kavialaskis more problems. Uh, I thought this, scenario was possible that Kavialaskis would just be too strong for him because you know Kavialaskis is strong and he does have legit power you know he, he's always been a good power puncher and that was the difference and I but I agree with you fighting a puncher like Kavialaskis since Fox did get in trouble relatively early was pretty good for him to be able to survive but it was impressive by Kavialaskis how you know he dropped him a couple times and then hurt him at the end and he wasn't losing rounds either um good performance if he's going to be with pbc now this is i'll be the first to say this isn't what we don't really want to see in other words i agree with you well he should be looking at maybe some of their more mid-tier and we and welterweight i think the deepest division in boxing and pbc has the most welterweights but as much as I hate to say it, if let's say something like Spence and Crawford falls through or, you know, they're they're still looking for guys for, for Boots Ennis to fight, things like that, I mean, Kavialaskis is, is probably going to be fighting more than the mid-tier uh, if he continues to have PBC opponents. As much as we're not asking for that, that wouldn't shock me one bit. In other words, if he ends up in a big fight, and not because he's that kind of draw or something like that, but just we know how boxing with all the promotions is nowadays, you know, if, if PBC has some of their top guys and, and they look at Kavialaskis as less of a risk, he, he might, I can see very well where he might be in bigger fights than we think. So um, I agree with you. There's a lot of up and coming welters and deepest division in boxing that you could make good fights with him. And it'd be interesting. And, he would be useful for PBC for that and also get himself some paydays. But the way things operate nowadays, I mean, look, we've, we've got talk about Fury Chisora three. I mean, no, God knows nobody, nobody wants that. Um, so who knows? Captain Velasquez, he's, he's coming off, coming off a good win. Now we may see him in with some, some big opponents again. Um, like he, even though he's already fought Crawford and, and Ortiz. So good win for him. And then in the main event, um, Fundora, you know, this was a little bit then like that Garcia fight for me with Fundora. Um, it, it's not, it's not, wasn't quite the Fundora we like to see. And it went to 12. Um, you know, Ocampo was never a threat to really win the fight. So in that sense, it was what we might've thought, but I agree with you, you know, I thought fun, this is a guy Fondora should be able to steamroll. And, you know, kind of like that Garcia fight, he didn't do that. Uh, I thought he clearly won that fight. You know, he clearly won this one. Um, but 
you know, coming off, he's come came off a real tough fight. Of what I thought was fight of the year with Lubin took a lot of punishment in that fight. So, you know, I'm not going to sound the alarm or anything. And I even think people maybe are getting too carried away just because of this performance Saturday night and saying, Oh, well, you know, he, he better be, you better be careful about getting in there with Jermel Charlo and that type of thing. You know, you know, Fondora is a, a different package still, uh, but he's much better when he fights in that unique style where he's coming after you, leaning out, you know, leaning on you, whipping those uppercuts, getting that crazy leverage on it. And you just see him just busting people up and, making him fall apart when he does that, you know, this wasn't that kind of a performance that, that Garcia fight was like that as well, where he, he boxed some and even admitted it after that Garcia fight. And um, I'm not sure why he does that. Now a guy, his height at 154 conventionally, you know, you would think, Oh, he should stick a jab out there and box, but we know that's what's made him different is that he doesn't do that. And he's really effective busting people up, putting hurt on them with that high punch volume and with the you know, surprising power that he's shown in a lot of fights. And you saw how badly he busted up Lubin. And, I mean, he really busted him up bad, you know. So, uh, And Lubin's a good fighter. So, you know, we, we know he can do that. and We've seen him do it to others. So uh, that it was not that performance. I'm not going to count him out. I still like him. I don't really think there's any reason to get too down on him. Um, some people now, just because of this one, not getting rid of Ocampo, seem to be a little down on him today. I, I'm not going to go that far, but it, it wasn't it wasn't one of his best performances. You know, great performance against Lubin, even though he went down, fight of the year, and he broke him up. But then Garcia fight before that, and then this one, not two of his best. So, um We'll, we'll see. We'll see how you know, see how it trends from here. But I, I don't think it's a reason to sound the alarm like some people were. I mean, I think he's still a threat to anybody with that unique style, and, and we know he can shift into that gear when he wants to because we saw him do it against Lubin. So it was still there. I, I thought going into that Lubin fight, maybe the Garcia fight was a sign he he wasn't going to be willing to fight that way all the time anymore. But he showed he sure. was still willing to do that against Lubin. Now, this was another one where it wasn't quite like that. But still, that's where I've always liked him, but he proved me wrong a little bit against Lubin. It, it wasn't an overall pullback from, you know, operating with that style. So I'm, I'm going to kind of take the lesson from, from the Lubin fight and say this and he, against Garcia. And he came back against Lubin with his old, effective, unusual style. So doesn't mean he can't do that again, even against somebody as good as Charlo. I'm not saying I'm picking him against Jermel Charlo necessarily, but the guy's dangerous, and I don't, I don't think he can count him out against anybody. Um, and, and you know, if, if he doesn't take too much punishment, I think with him, this idea that he can move way up in all the weights is not crazy. Uh, I think, you know, as long as he doesn't take too much punishment with that kind of height. Um, the guy's and the guy's got some some unique skills in his own way. Um, he could go up in the weights, but again, what, what time? Then getting back to the kind of out of the ring part of it, you know, Fedora is a guy with that star potential. You know, they they've gotten him spots of exposure where they obviously understood that. You know, in some of their network cards when they were running him. Um, so 
starting that late in the East. I mean, what what does what does that do? You know, really, really, what does it do? I mean, that you know that went the distance too. Um, it's going on so late in the East, and it is worth throwing out there because Showtime ought to know better and PBC. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, WBC interim. 154 you know interim of what i mean interim of what you know jamel charlo is the champion i mean what what are we interim i mean he just beat castanio he just knocked out castanio there is no interim you know so you get you get to these 12 rounders like that that you know with nonsense trying to say it's for some belt and stuff i mean just well let's let's just you know, forget that. I mean, who who the hell is tuning in because of that? Because you said it's for the WBC interim 154 pound title, so you got to have a, a 12 rounder, uh, you know, going on in the middle of the night in the East. Um, you know, where you've got the highest population base. I, I just that that kind of stuff. I, I think some of that's got to be revamped. I mean, some of that thinking's got to be revamped. Again, if we if we would get away from just I like tradition, but Sometimes maybe where you make a common sense adjustment, um, we're not used to this, but w- why not have Ancajas and Martinez on in the middle of the night? You know, not 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 calling it the main event because it's going on last, but just have it go on last would would make a lot more sense, a lot more sense. So I, I think it's time for boxing to start thinking about some things like that. I mean, why not have Fundora coming on at ten o'clock in the east? Um, this doesn't. It really just doesn't make sense. So um, I think boxing's got to got to really start thinking about making some adjustments like that. Yeah, and I mean, most of the time we see it with ESPN, but you know, then again, on their you know to their to the side of that is also a lot of not a, a fair amount of times when it is a really good lead-in. You know, that does help the ratings, so technically there's more people watching it than others. So it's kind of a happy in-between. You know, there's there's room in-between there, um, and, and it is about what you show. Either way, during those, to your point, as far as the order of the fights, I think is something that would be key, because if you do have this large, uh, you know, audience coming in off a football or basketball game or whatever, a uh, college baseball game or whatever, it'd be nice not to just see a, a four or six rounder either. Might as well get right to it. Like you said, it, it just starting at 10 o'clock on the East. It's not like they had um, a large, you know, audience right before it or something. Then you can at least be like, well, I understand that part, but yeah, no, you're, you're definitely, uh, this has been an ongoing thing. Um, and like I said, that's the only thing back, as far as if you have a large lead-in, then it's like, okay, I kind of understand that, but um, this clearly didn't. And, yeah, we do see a lot of late cards. Uh, we're used to the – for a long time, we were used to late uh, pay-per-view cards, right? But right, right. it is seems like more and more and more we do get that. Um, any other things from the card uh, before we start to get, uh, uh, you know, this weekend uh, figured out? Because there's a lot to talk about there. Yeah, no, that was that was about it. That was about it from this weekend. I mean, better card overall uh, than we've been getting. So not complaining about that. But the start times, the order—it's it, really the comments I saw from people who do know what they're talking about. It was actually kind of surprising that that many were that fed up. I mean, and, and it was all the same thing. Like, you know, that 
they can't do it. They're just falling. You know, they're just, they're just falling asleep, and it, it, it's reached the senseless point. So, I think that's something that all of them got to look at. You're right. ESPN does it too. Showtime. Um, they've got to really look at this stuff. And like you and I have said before, as we'll wrap up this week, but when zone does it, it really makes no sense because they're they're a streamer. I mean, you know. You're, you're streaming. That's kind of the advantage of streaming is that right. you can just yeah. kind of go on what, go on whatever whatever you want. Yeah, you, you don't, don't have, have a news uh, program at a certain time. You don't have a sports center. You right. don't have a game before it. Or like you said, you control that, especially here in the States, you know. It's right. Like you literally yeah. don't have anything else on, so you might as well. But, yeah, right. you're right. So when, it, it, it's been ongoing. Yeah, so with when ESPN when it's when it's something that's only on ESPN Plus or only on the Zone, they ought to be taking advantage of the modern technology that they don't have that that there is no lead in. You know, it's just you know it's on demand in that sense. So you know you just you just pop it right pop it right on. So they, they and they haven't been taking advantage of that. They've been still doing the stupid start times as well. Um, and, and like you said, with all kinds of four and six rounders running before that, and I've heard other complaints about those more lately too. Um, that's kind of a, something a little separate, but sim, similar in some sense. And so I don't know. I, I think I think I, I'm sensing that that it's hitting some breaking point. That's why I wanted to bring that up tonight in conjunction with this weekend's card. But but now we can move on to next week. All right, and I don't remember if you were on the show for the Shields Marshal, uh, Mayor Baumgartner. I can't remember if you were, because um, I'm going to give a little nutshell, you know, preview prediction on that. But I feel like I feel like it was one of those that I had to do kind of quick because my schedule got messed up. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think so. But either way, what are your thoughts on both of those? Uh, you know, that, that double header that obviously was supposed to take place like a month ago until the Queen passed away. But uh, these are two really interesting fights. And as far as the closest on paper, you know, betting odds, clearly, uh, you know, for quite some time, ever since it's been really announced, the Shields Marshall. I mean, you can get Marshall plus 108. Um, I, think, I think that's the highest, plus 100. And the highest is like minus 20 for Shields. It actually opened. I remember down the stretch, it was like plus 100, I think, for Shields. She was just barely an underdog. But either way, that's my point. It's a 50-50. What do you think of this doubleheader? Because like I said, I'm not I, sure if you actually gave your preview and, and all that. I'm not sure that I did. I do like these two fights. I agree with everybody else. They, they put together, you know, two good women's matchups, just two good fights, period. And then, of course, you know, happen to be two, two good women's matchups. So I'm in agreement. These were really good fights to put together. Um, I hope they I hope they get good exposure, you know, in, in the U.S. You know, when issues like we're talking about, when they get started. Now, here you've got two good fights, so that's an advantage where the fan – will be interested in both fights. So you don't have to worry about one of them just wasting time for fans that want to, you know, only see one of them. So they're both good. 
like like to see them both really start at a good time um, where they're going to be seen and, and have a good flow. Uh, in terms of the fight themselves, I mean, um, you know, the, the Mayer-Bumgarner matchup, I mean, you know, Alicia Bumgarner, you know, she has some some skills, but she's also shown a bit more power than we've seen in a lot of the women's game. Of course, like I, I always keep saying, the fight should be three-minute rounds instead of two. No reason for them to be two, but they're two, and we're dealing with that. So that takes away from the women's ability to be able to score knockouts, just not having as much time and getting a chance to accumulate those punches and, and wear somebody down as well. Uh, you know, within a round, but um, I, I've said a lot. I think if the rounds were three minutes long, I think Michaela Mayer is one of the fighters that would have more knockouts because with her, she doesn't have the KO percentage. But when I watch her fight, I do I do get the sense that she's got some pop. I I don't watch her and, and feel like she doesn't have any pop. And even though she doesn't have that KO percentage. And I don't say that often because, you know, I always say in, in the vast majority of the cases, look, you know, if you don't have that KO percentage, you, you just don't have the pop. And, and when I hear some of these commentators trying to justify somebody who, who doesn't have any power saying, oh, they have more power than you think, I'm usually laughing and saying, no, really, they don't. But I think the women's game being two-minute rounds right now, I do think Michaela Mayer is that rare case where – she she's got a little bit more pop than her KO percentage shows, but Bumgarner's still by far the bigger puncher out of those two because Bumgarner's been hurting people and getting the KOs even with the two minute round. So that that's kind of the interesting part about the fight is uh, Mayer's also shown good skills as well. I think you know a little bit better overall skill than than Bumgarner, and she's got that she's got that height. Um, you know she she's able to you know, box that range a lot, does that, does that pretty well, but she's still active and throws punches. I think, it, you know, it's an interesting fight because it's probably the type of fight where it's not impossible, but Bumgarner can catch Mayer. Um, and I think that's within the realm of possibility, but I am with the odds makers on this one is it seems like she's become an increasing favorite. Well, since this one got signed, I, I got to think Mayer's yeah. going to get a get a decision here. She's got more volume. Um, she does have that good amateur pedigree as as the women's amateur programs got better. You know, her and Clarissa Car- Car- Shields came out of that. That's that's what I found interesting because you know in the early days of women's boxing, you know, you didn't have women's Olympic boxing. You didn't have the really any women's amateur game. Um, for them to develop and then you started to have it and you saw the improvement and the abilities of the women coming up. And I, when I think of that, I shields and mayor are two of the people I think of because, you know, they, they both came off the U S Olympic team and Clarissa shields competed in two Olympics. Correct. Yeah. She got two, two golds. Right. So, um, so she even, you know, had, had a lengthy amateur career. Um, And then, you know, Savannah Marshall has, as well um you know that you're right that was one where surprisingly to me and a lot of people uh shield started off as a slight underdog even though she did lose to marshall in the amateurs and you know savannah marshall also one of those women that again came up as the the amateur programs for the women 
got, you know, more extensive and, and really just got developed. So, you know, you see the, you see the increased skill level a lot because of that. So she also falls into that as well. Now, like I talked about Bumgarner, that's also what's uh, interesting about Marshall is for the women's game, you know, she is definitely one of the biggest punchers because she shows the power in the two minute round. So just like Bumgarner is in the mayor fight, I mean, Marshall is, is going to be dangerous even to somebody as good as Clarissa Shields because she's got real power and she has some skill as well. So, you know, Clarissa Shields, the Achilles heel in the pro, and, you know, we've seen enough now, even with the two-minute round. I mean, she just she just doesn't show any power. So that's the one weakness I see in her. She can do everything else, but she, she just hasn't shown any power. And, and she's shown such little power that that is, that is a weakness of hers because, you know, we can go into this one and, and she's just not going to hurt or knock out Marshall. I mean, that's just not going to happen. So you, you can't say that. So she knows she's got to go the distance. And, you know, take a decision from her. There's just no other route to victory for Clarissa Shields realistically. But with that said, Clarissa Shields is so good at that. And she has also proven she's so good at that, you know, with the boxing skill. You know, she's active. She's got the boxing skill. Um, I, I think she'll take – I think she will do that. I think she'll survive Marshall's power. And she'll just outwork her enough. Uh, she's got that skill level. I think she can avenge that amateur loss and, and get a decision. So uh, in these two fights, I, I do think they're legit intriguing matchups. I'm, I'm looking at Mayer yeah. by a decision, and I'm looking at Shields by a decision. And then on ESPN at night, post LSU Florida, so people get ready. If it goes, you know, sometimes these uh, college games will go three and a half, four hours especially if it goes to overtime, it'll go four hours pretty much almost for sure. Um, get ready to turn to ESPNU or ESPN News or something like that. Um, but Haney Cambosis, too, if you look at some recent uh, photos that came out about Cambosis, or not came out, but Cambosis looks a little leaner. He definitely hasn't been talking all that trash and emperor and, you know, all these corny uh, – entrance into the weigh-in and stuff like that. He's been, he looks like he's been focusing on his craft. Is there anything that he can do to actually change this thing around and, and, and get into this fight? Because obviously he couldn't even barely get by the jab. Um, as that fight wore on, it looked like Haney um, was countering really well. He was like doing some stuff inside the pocket. I thought he defended one of his better defensive uh you know outings as well because he was really close inside the pocket he wasn't on the move the whole time or anything like that like i said the jab alone was was dominant there was moments not many but there were a couple moments when he got inside he roughed him up we saw that um i guess to a little extent with lenars but especially diaz him landing that uh those left hooks repeatedly what can Cambosis do other than really kind of lay it on the line and try to just rough him up and, and, and get get inside and, and and make him look to the ref and, and that type of thing and kind of, I don't know, like duck that jab, you know, because that thing was just lighting him up pretty easy. Do you see any anything really different? Maybe, maybe there'll be minor, like win an extra round or two, 
or, or do you think Haney's kind of got this and, you know, we'll, we'll likely see him and Lomachenko next as long as Lomachenko can come through his next fight against Ortiz? Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see too much different here, what you said. Maybe Cambosos winning a couple of more rounds, which he wasn't doing in the first fight. The reason I think he might be able to win a couple more is because I do think Cambosos has good hand speed. Um, so, you know, he, he should be able to let his hands go. And I'm not saying Haney's easy to hit. Haney's, you know, real cautious. Like you said, he's going to just work that jab. Um, and Cambosos had a lot of trouble with that. But I just do think that Cambosos has enough hand speed that he should be able to do a little bit a little bit better than he did in the first fight if he's in better shape and he, he maybe has more respect for what he's in for this time. But I, I don't think I don't I don't think enough to turn it around. Um so I don't think we'll see too much and, and you know, but Haney is very cautious. Um so I, I can't I also having trouble seeing him open up enough to get a stoppage because, you know, that would be a nice step for Haney after dominating the first fight, if then he had this mandated rematch and and he picked up where he left off and stepped it up and, and tried to get him out of there. Uh, that would be nice to see, but I don't think we're probably going to see that either. So probably Cambosos maybe just knows what he's in for more this time in better shape. I think he's got enough hand speed that maybe he wins a couple of rounds. But, you know, you look at the trouble we had to me with Lee Selby, I thought Selby could have gotten that decision. There were a couple of people that agreed with me. A lot didn't, but I, I think he could have really. And, you know, he's not near the boxer that Haney is. And, you know, he's a guy that was a featherweight. So that's kind of bad for Cam- Cambosos too, is that he had that, he had that trouble. He had that trouble with Selby not too many fights ago. That was, you know, right before Lopez, but he did have that trouble. So, you know, it's not like he's done that great necessarily against a, a boxer like that. But on the other hand, even though we know Tiafimo Lopez has power, he can also box. Let's, let's be fair to Cambosos. It's not like Tio Lopez is some unskilled guy in there. You know, he, he's got hand speed and some boxing skill as well as power. And, you know, Cambosos was able to drop him and, uh, you know, just barely hang on and, and get that decision which he did earn. So, um, you know, so he's handled a skilled guy in Lopez, but I think maybe he can do, I think he probably can do a little bit better, but I don't think he can turn it around. And I think Haney will probably stay cautious enough that he doesn't uh, get a stoppage here, but he just wins another comfortable decision. Um, I can't believe this fight's coming up already again. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like, it it doesn't, you know, not that anybody was asking for it, but, I did look at that today too, and I'm like, Haney Cambosos is this weekend. It just didn't it didn't seem like it was coming up already. But uh, uh, at least you know it's something we didn't necessarily want. Most people didn't want, so at least we're getting it out of the way, so to speak. But you know, Haney again for for where we're at now with boxing, um, you know that was a big fight. That's the real lineal lightweight title. So I'm glad in that sense it got those ratings, but. For Haney just coming over from the zone to ESPN, of course he's been on Showtime before that some, but still got for for this era got a surprisingly to me good rating, and he got over a million people watching him for that Cambosos one. Uh, I thought that was pretty good for where we're at nowadays. So 
as you mentioned about the lead-in and everything, I mean, from the out-of-the-ring stuff, I, I'd like to um, – I'm a little curious to see if if Haney gets a chance to build on that, if they don't have this thing starting too late in the East, and uh, you know, he, he gets a chance to build on that a little bit after after doing well on his first time out with Cambosos. Because, you know, they've, they've got Shakur Stevenson who's getting exposure, and um, this is the one thing I've seen lately that I do agree with is – you know, top rank and, and ESPN are, are kind of sticking with the top rank guys that they see as potential stars, and they're getting them that, you know, basic cable exposure. Um, you know, PBC hasn't been doing that with their guys lately. You know, as, as I've said, I mean, they're, they're not getting the, the Fox outings aren't there. You know, all you got was that, uh, you know, jo- Joey Spencer out there uh, in that last fight, and, um, you know, you got a lean on FS1, but that's it. Um, you know, because Showtime's premium cable. I mean, they make money off that because they're subscribers, but the actual amount of people watching is not that high. So, really, U.S. boxing all you, and pay-per-views, you know, you're, you don't have the viewership. So, right at the moment with U.S. boxing – for more widespread exposure, all you've really got at the moment is what Top Rank's doing with these ESPN cards when they're putting people like Haney out there, Stevenson. They're going to put Lomachenko out there, as you mentioned. He's, he's you know, most of his numbers have been pretty solid. Um, you know, they'll, they'll do that type of thing with Tiafima Lopez. You know, they're putting the investment out there and, and getting these guys viewed with more people. Um, we'll have to, we'll have to see if that, uh, if that adds up and pays off, I mean, it, it did the PBC with some of their, their people. And, and, you know, we're going to see now if that, that happens with top rank right. as well. Right. Yeah. It's only been four, uh, well, three actually Foxes uh, this year uh, as far as exposure. Um, so LSU Florida starts at six o'clock my time central. It's that normal six, the nine slot that they have on ESPN during college football. So just a heads up, the earliest it would start would be 10 o'clock on the East. And you know, and I know a college football game usually goes a little past three hours. So just a heads up there. Now they don't, you know, hopefully, I mean, I don't know. This is, this is one of those things where the live audience, if you, had the main event. There are times where if you have the main event or a ticket seller first, then people leave, right? But if you're trying to take advantage of the, you know, the the highest rating, which is always at the beginning of the broadcast, if there's a large, as we know, lead-in, then, you know, this would be one of those times because it's, you know, the Maloney brothers fighting, um, a 10-round, a 12-rounder, you know. I don't know. Do they... Is it only, you know, it looks like a two-hour, it's probably going to be only two fights. It does look like it's a two-hour slot the last time I checked on the guide. So I'm sure that ESPN Plus will be going and whatnot, but that is something to uh, think about there. But, yeah, I kind of feel like it is this very similar uh, pattern the fight will take place. We'll see if Cambosis can improve it. And then we'll end with Wilder, Deontay Wilder, Robert Hellenius. He's coming back from almost a year out of the ring or from a year out of the ring after back-to-back knockouts. Of course, the co-feature is an interesting one. Caleb Plant 
and Anthony Durrell. Uh, Durrell, although aged, very solid fighter, good quality opponent to come back to after your first loss, especially a knockout loss, I suppose, with a plant. Hopefully, uh, you know, if Plant can get through Durrell, then it looks like we'll, you know, next year they'll be looking to make that Benavides fight. There are uh, something on the undercard that we'll talk about too. But what are your thoughts here as far as how these fights are going to play out? Well, you know, as I've said on the out of the ring, I've already, you know, talked about how I, I do think this is big for Wilder, U.S. boxing. Um, even though he's getting into the later stages of his career, um, kind of need this, even even with Hellenius as the opponent. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see, like you know, like you said about your nephews, want to see Wilder. I mean, I get I get a lot of that feel with Wilder, even if it's mostly just among boxing people. Still, but they're all interested they're definitely in it. marketing the fight. I'll say that on Fox and FS1. I've heard right. Uh, I've seen that too. See it. Yeah, they're, they're marketing it, so they're they're putting the effort in. And you know, you're right. So w- what number was I looking at? I had to then come up with something. I'm not saying they'll get it, but I, I came up with the number three hundred thousand. That you know, I'm not saying I'll definitely get it, but but for where they're at nowadays, I mean, I think really, again, Water getting to the later stages of his career, but he has become well known. Um, relatively speaking, the two the two for this era, solid pay-per-views with Fury, uh, the last one being fight of the year, something that people will be talking about decades from now when they talk about boxing. It was that good of a fight, that kind of drama. So, uh, you know, then, then in the ring, you know, Wilder has taken a lot of punishment in those, you know, last two losses to Fury, uh, a real lot of punishment. So, um you know, you get into an advanced age, and you know, I, I was I was in a min- minority, um, but I still stand by it, and I'll always go back to like the Stavern one, and you know, Stavern was a legit, uh, you know, he had a WBC belt, but he was a legit top contender. If you forget about the alphabet belts at that time, and Wilder put a lot of hurt on him, didn't stop him, but outboxed him over twelve, used the jab. Um, I, I felt Wilder could have used that type of a style. Um, and I think Breland was trying to get him to do that. I, I think, you know, of course they had that falling out, but um, even if you listen to some of the in the ring instruction, I think Breland was always trying to get him to do more of that. And, and Wilder just didn't do it. Um, and it never really, never really happened. Like I thought would, would have helped him, um, you know, have, have an additional dimension to that right hand. So, why I'm prefacing things with that is I did think that this would come in Wilder's career anyway, even if he did that the way I'd like to have seen him. I thought when he got, you know, Pope got past 35 years old, um, you know, he, he's not going to be fighting that way anyway. So uh, what I'm saying is even, even though I know the response from a lot of people would be what well, that's all he ever had anyway, people who are more of the Wilder detractors, I think, though, now that is what you're going to get. In other words, I just don't think there's going to be anything more than, than loading up with big right hands there now. And um, I would say as Wilder gets into this later stages of his career, you know, I'd always wanted him to maybe get the weight down and, and use the one-two more, move around more. I think we're past that stage now at what age he's at. So, uh, you know, with his height, six foot seven. 
Um, he's just going to be power punching. So might might as well might as well go with the bulk now because you know, in other words, it's not going to be even the speed anymore. It's just going to be even more so than ever. I think pure power. So you know, I, I think there's some risk for him in the sense that at the advanced age. He's probably going to be just stationary now, loading up on the power shots. Um, probably will start to be at even higher weights. Um, I think why Hellenius is in there from the PBC perspective is that, you know, he got knocked out by Duhapas and Gerald Washington. Um, but, you know, if you look at Hellenius's career, um, and, you know, we've mentioned this before, but, but it is a fact, you know, we, we always talk about the famous video, and it is great to watch. I, I enjoy watching it, too, where Emmanuel Stewart talks about how much he likes uh, Tyson Fury and Wilder, and, you know, at, at their early stages and identifies them as two guys getting to the top. But he was always really high on Robert Hellenius, too. And Hellenius, really, for, you know, that, that early part of his career, he was looking good and he was undefeated. And I I think it was that he had some injury problems and then he was off for a while. And, you know, he tried to get back going. He fought to hop us and he got knocked out. That was his first loss. But in other words, I think there was a different Hellenius before that. Um, And then, you know, he lost a decision to white where he was competitive. Uh, Just got out hustled a little bit. He just couldn't quite keep the pace with white. I thought he was, he was in that. Um, but he just got out hustled a little bit, but then he got knocked out by Gerald Washington, you know, a fight he was winning the whole time, but still you, you do have to say it. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be getting stopped by, you know, Ger- Gerald Washington. So I think when he got this assignment, that's what they saw. Now, if you're an optimist for Hellenius, you know, even though he's 37, I think what you're looking at, and this is, I think what some people are seeing who, who do kind of like this fight is they're looking at that Hellenius, who Emmanuel Stewart thought could be one of the top guys who really, I think that was maybe the first 15 fights or so of his career who, you know, before he supposedly had the injuries and he was off some, he was looking good. I mean, you know, people were thinking there were people that knew what they're talking about who thought he could be the guy, you know, that was, you know, in that Klitschko era where, you know, you really didn't have any legit opponents or threats and, you know, that's where you were waiting for these guys like, um, you know, I don't think anybody was thinking that highly of Fury except maybe Stewart at that point. But, you know, then, you know, Wilder came up and became became a real uh, – did prove to be a real threat. And then, of course, Fury, I think, ended up being even much better than anybody expected he would be. And then, you know, Bahalanius was also looked at as one of those guys. Then he had, you know, he had some injuries, was off. Then the, then the performances declined. And then you had this – I think this is what people are looking at. Was the two Konatsky fights, are, are, the, are those just because it was Konatsky, or, or is this a revived Hellenius, uh, you know, living up to that early early potential? I mean, that's what he would want to say. And, you know, some people who, who do like him would, would probably look at that. That's probably the key for him to this is, you know, is he back? You know, did he get a, maybe a chance to, you know, maybe he healed up, on, healed up on some injuries, that type of a thing, and uh, or, or got something together, and he, he's living up to that potential that a lot of 
knowledgeable people had from early in his career, or was that just because he was fighting Kanatsky twice? Um, that that's that's going to be the question there. I, I think, frankly, the PBC matchmakers are thinking it's it's just because he was fighting Kanatsky, and they're thinking if Gerald Washington can take this guy out, you know, Deontay Wilder is going to put a bomb on him and get him out of there early. And, and I think they're probably looking at it like they were looking at Dominic Brazil, but that this is just a guy that can that can be hit and Wilder can get off the right hand and then he's going to get people talking again and move on to the next big fight. I, I think that's the plan. Um, but the the bit of intrigue is, you know, is this a is this a revived Hellenius? Because let's because Wilder did take a lot of punishment in those last two fights, and and if it does end up being a, re, a revived Hellenius, coming off all the punishment Wilder took. And, you know, Hellenius is not some chump. You know, he's not an unskilled guy. Um, he's big, and he knows how to fight. I mean, he, even in the losses, I mean, he knows how to fight. So, uh, like you said, he was, you know, up on the cards in that Washington fight. Um, you know, the Duhapas was when he was coming back, I believe. Um, White, he just got out hustled a little bit. So, we'll see. I, I would, I would think that, and this one I'm looking at the PBC matchmaking is probably going to be right. I can't get out of my head. Galanius getting taken out by Gerald Washington, who, you know, really is limited. And, and even though he's big, as he got up in opposition, was not that good of a puncher for a heavyweight. Um, you know, he had no amateur background or anything. So uh, that, that sticks out. So I, I got I'm looking at the, I'm looking at it that way too. I think, at this, this advanced age, Wilder, to me, even though some people would say this is the way all he ever had, I, I disagree. I thought he could have done some more. But I think now it's just going to be a, a big stationary Wilder who's going to be bombing away. Um, I, don't think, I don't think we're going to get anything more than that anymore. And I think he'll – I don't know what he's going to weigh in at, but I'm, I'm guessing – now, he did look thinner. I got to agree with people when you see him in camp. I, I would think at stage of his career he'll probably be getting heavier and heavier, but you know, at six foot seven he's going to be able to carry some of that. Um, you know, you think the older version of George Foreman got heavier from the younger version of George Foreman? I, I, I'm I'm kind of looking at it maybe like one of those types of things. Um, you know, George Foreman about six four, but you know Wilder six seven. So that's the big fight. I, I'm I'm curious really out of the ring. I think that. You know, it's it's time for for as far as we get in this era of boxing, see if Deontay Wilder can kind of really make his own star turn here now, um, be be the big draw in this later stages of his career. Um, I think he should be able to catch Hellenius with something, and I think that's what they're looking for here. And and I think that's the most likely scenario. But but there is a little bit of intrigue, like I said, that Wilder coming off couple of beatings with Fury in a fight of the year. If Hellenius is revived, if that Kanatsky double win series of wins there was a revived Hellenius, maybe this thing could be more interesting than we think. And then what do you think about the Caleb Plant and uh, Anthony Durrell uh, as far as the co-feature and obviously Speaking of coming off, uh, taking some punishment, not quite the punishment, you know, Wilder took, but he did, you know, suffer his first loss, uh, Caleb Plant. 
and it was by knockout. He was doing good in the early part of that fight against Canelo, and it's been about 11 months or so. Uh, he's looking to get back in there against Durrell, which, like I said, I, I like this as the co-feature. How do you see this one playing out? Because, you know, power, he can cut off the ring. Uh, Durrell, um, like I said, he is he is an advanced age per se. He hasn't taken a ton of beatings. He's been a little up and down in recent um, performances. But even like a few years back against, uh, against uh, Benavides, you know, he gave Benavides a pretty good fight until, you know, he got TKO'd. Uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this fight? This is one that, you know, I, I also favor Plant, but I got to say that I, I'm surprised how big of a favorite he's been, been on in this one. Um, I didn't expect that because, you know, Darrell has amateur pedigree, been around a long time, but he, he knows how to fight and um, power as well. I mean, he's, um, you know, of course, out of the two – Darrell brothers, he was always the better puncher, and uh, you know he, he brings some pop. So um, you know he's got some skill and some pop. You know, he's at an advanced age now, but um, looked looked pretty good this last outing. Um, I'm surprised how big of a plant favorite plant is. I do think I like Plant to win this one, but I'm but I'm surprised how big of a favorite he is. And as you mentioned. Been out of the ring for a while. He's coming off the KO loss with Canelo. Did basically look good in that fight, even though he eventually got stopped. Um, one thing in the fight that I thought, you know, even though Canelo, along with Golovkin, they've got the two best chins in boxing. Um, but you could kind of tell in that fight, Caleb Plant in that fight, he used his right hand more than he normally does, and he was effective with it. Um, he was landing it, but you could just, again, it was Canelo he was fighting. He's got a great chin, but even even with that, you, you could just see that he had, he had nothing really on it. That that really hurt him in that fight because he he was he was landing. Uh, that's the most I really saw him rely on the right hand. He was landing it on Canelo, but it, it just just wasn't having any effect. So um, you know, I always thought Caleb Plant he hits a little harder with the left hook you know, than, than people give him credit for, you know, of course he focuses on boxing, but I do think his left hook's pretty good, but that he wasn't getting in against Canelo as much. Um, I think he can hurt people with the left hook, but that, that's it. I mean, he never was looked at as necessarily that big of a puncher. I thought his left hook was underrated, but I did see some signs in that Canelo fight that, you know, he, he just, he was landing that right hand, but there, but there just wasn't anything on it. So, um, you know, a veteran like Darrell is is probably going to be, uh, you know, cognizant of that and thinking that you know, unless this guy maybe catches me with a with a quick counter hook or something, uh, you know, I'm not going to be getting hurt by this guy. And and Darrell's got some power, and Plant's coming off a knockout loss, so I'm a little surprised how big of a favorite Plant is. But you know, when Plant when Plant's in his real good boxing mode. Um, you know he's he's very he's very difficult to hit. You know he's real fast. He's got good size for this weight too, actually. Um, and you know he's he's real fast and, and he's he's very hard to hit. So I think if he's in his usual mode, which I think he should be, uh, he, he could probably keep Darrell from landing too much on him, and uh, you know probably boxes boxes way to a decision. That's. Uh, that's kind of the way I do see this going, but I, I'm surprised how big of a favorite he is. Um, I, I I do see this one a bit closer than that, 
And um, I think it's good that Plant is fighting somebody like Darrell. I think, you know, I can think of some other times in boxing history where you have a guy like Plant who had a good showing against a top guy like Canelo at that time, a guy who was viewed as the top pound for pound guy in the sport. And then they get overprotective of him. You know what I mean? They're like, you know, that was a good pay-per-view buy rate. He got seen and then they get a little overprotective. And then, then really the, the development stops. I mean, of course, you know, plant's been, plant's been, well, really, you know, he fought Canelo at the top level, but outside of the use Katagi fight, you know, he didn't have really that, tough of an opposition so I think it would be a step back too far back uh, for him to not fight somebody at least as good as Darrell so I am glad to see that I I think it's kind of necessary I mean uh, I think for him to to just come back against somebody not even as good as Darrell yeah maybe they could look at their trying to market and protect him but he, he really wouldn't develop any further and I think with plant even though as long as he's been around um, and coming off fighting Canelo, when you look overall at who's on his resume, he he could still you know he he could still use some tough opposition if he's really gonna you know whatever his full potential might be. So I think this is the right fight for that. If he if he gets by it, um, then another further step up again would be good. And then I think he's a guy whatever his full potential is at least he would be uh, uh, utilizing his full potential. So I, I do find that interesting here. It's a good, you know, somebody who's gotten exposure, it's, like I said, on the last show, it's a good sidekick to go with Wilder there to uh, help the pay-per-view. Um, I think among boxing fans, again, with the intrigue of Wilder and Plant being on there, I'm not saying people want to pay $75 for this pay-per-view with Wilder Hellenius being the main event, but I got a feeling it's going to do all right. I, I just, I just think people have the interest in it, um, and that's kind of the way I feel coming in a week away. So um, I'm kind of uh, just, just, just kind of, kind of interested in, in these these couple of fights, see, seeing uh, how these comebacks of Plant and Wilder go, and uh, I, I think this thing's probably going to do okay on pay per view. All right. Any other items uh, you'd like to discuss? Talk about any anything else? I think that's about it. Since I, I think I got into it, I think just just concern about some of these cards in the East going too late and boxing always fighting for exposure. That even when you got some good stuff, um, you know, uh, not not getting exposed like it needs to. You know, you mentioned how that's been bad for pay per views. That's one thing to throw out here too. Is People are going to pay seventy-five bucks for this Wilder pay-per-view. Um, let, let's let's not have the main event, you know, be starting, you know, at twelve thirty, twelve thirty in the East or something like that. Uh, you know, that may happen anyway, but I but I hope not. I I, I hope they uh, I hope they try to get that main event started at a decent hour. All right, there you have it. Appreciate you uh, coming on, and uh, we'll speak next week. Enjoy the fights. All right, Chris. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the fight. Should be an interesting weekend. All right. Take it easy. Take care. All righty. We have a little under 20 minutes left of the live stream. After that, 
646-381-4990. That's 646-381-4990. The number to call. We won't go too deep tonight. This is kind of just a random Sunday night. We never do, we rarely ever do Sunday night shows, but my schedule's a little funky this week, and then I'm going out of town uh, on Friday, so I, I wanted to get a show in and not do some random Thursday night that I may or may not be able to do. One note about Wilder, and I saw this on Boxing Scene, found it in an article as well, or an interview as well, how he felt sluggish, you know, for that third uh, Fury fight. And obviously he got all the way up to 238. It's funny because the first one he weighed in like 212 or something like that. Um, something like that. It was a 209, 212, something like that. And um, people, most of his career said you got to put on more weight. You got to put on more weight. I remember he got as high as like 28, 229. Um, and he's kind of been in that range in the in the teens and in the 20s. And that's a better range for him. But, you know, a lot of people are saying, dude, especially after that second fight where, you know, Fury was like roughhousing him and putting his weight on him and he, he needed to kind of put some, he felt he needed to put some weight on and And obviously that didn't work. I mean, it worked out pretty well. He knocked him down twice and he came out good, but he did, you know, look like he gassed from it. So he basically is saying, and I actually have a quote from him, um, you know, in hindsight, this is actually from boxing scene. Uh, you know, he considered that approach going all the way up to 238, um, you know, as, as, a, as a mistake. Uh, he plans to be somewhere in the 220s, uh, maybe be under for the first time uh, since that, you know, I think since the, the Fury fight. I think that's a good idea. He said weight is not going to be what we worry about in this fight or in fights in the future during the camp. Um, you know, we gained a lot of weight the last fight just because other expectations of seeing my body a certain way. Uh, and, you know, I was interested to in see my body frame in certain weight as well. But at the moment in time, I go back to what I was used to, what I was comfortable with, what's comfortable to me, what's comfortable with the body frame. And that's going to be around maybe in the 220s, maybe under. So, yeah, I actually do think, you know, not even just gassing out, but hand speed as well. He said he felt a little sluggish, a little heavy. Uh, I mean, you got to understand, I never weighed 240, which is basically 238 in his life before. Uh, but it was an experiment that I wanted to try. And, uh, you know, we had to get, you know, to that weight to put it on. And, and I'm, supposed, I'm sure I remember him talking about this, you know, months ago, that it was hard to stay on, too, because he loses so much weight during camp. Um, so, yeah, he said, you know, it, it was an experience, and I'm not going to make the same mistake uh, this time. So I think that's a, a pretty, you know, good call off that. I, I don't know. I, I think uh, Hellenius is just like a perfect fight for him to come back to, especially off of two knockouts. Um, Hellenius being that fringe guy, contender, definitely like a gatekeeper guy, coming off two good wins. Then those wins were on. One of them was on Fox. I think that was the last – was that the last fight right before the pandemic? I think it was. And then on the undercard of, what, the rematch, I believe? So those are, you know, healthy audiences, no doubt about it. Um, and so I think it just it just lines up. 
It just lines up. They know Hellenius is going to bring it. He probably will have some success, and he'll probably get stopped. That is, and you know, unless, like John was saying and many others saying, we don't know um, if Wilder will show you know negative signs from that punishment he took in that fight, in the last two fights. The time off out of the ring, will he come out rusty? Didn't really look rusty in his last fight, and he was out 18 months or something like that. So I think he deserves it. I mean, shit. Wilder just went through uh, Ortiz, Fury, uh, Brazil as his, um, you know, the mandatory, then <laughs> Ortiz again, and then Fury, then Fury. I mean, the dude deserves just a solid fight to come back to. So I think it, I think it, it's a perfect fight for him. Um, and then the Caleb plan, Anthony Durrell, like I said, Durrell is kind of up and down in his performance later in his career, but he is you know, like his nickname, the dog. He is a dog. Like I said, go back not too long ago against Benavidez. I mean, he put in a good fight. He's a very solid fighter. He's going to try to rough house, cut the ring off of Plant. And Plant is known for fast starts, early mid-rounds. Um, and then he has shown to either kind of fall into uh, um, a pattern and get caught with some big shots or, or kind of slow down, kind of wear down. I mean, that's what happened a little bit against Uzgadji. Uh, you know, Uzgadji got back into the fight after being knocked down twice. And then obviously, you know, he was doing really well against Caleb, or uh, Caleb, against Canelo, and Caleb ended up getting knocked out. So um, now he moved really well against a faded, and I, you know, Love me some Caleb Truax, but he was faded at that time, um, and he didn't. He kind of fell into that pattern of just winning rounds, but it, you know, that that's kind of what he does, you know. Um, but he, I, I don't remember him being, you know, getting hit a lot later in that fight. Um, he doesn't get hit a whole lot anyway, um, so I look for him to be on the move to pivot. Uh, to lateral, use a lot of lateral movement. I think Darrell, after the first couple rounds, will start to cut the distance, cut the gap on him. And I think he'll give a game effort. I really do. I think it'll be a, a competitive fight, but I, I just see Plant outboxing him, outscoring him, using that jab, um, countering him and all that. And Darrell, by the way, Darrell's last fight, he was coming off like a mediocre performance. Um, if I remember correctly, and then he had that that uppercut highlight reel knockout what, yeah, on the undercard. Actually, I forgot about that on that the the Canelo undercard. So in plant undercard. So this is a good opponent. Like I said, I, I actually it's funny. Um, I just got a message from someone saying, you know, this is a horrible opponent. Darrell's way past it. Uh, but this person I've seen multiple times you know, use the ring rankings as like the Bible and, and, you know, whatever it is, what it is. There's the transnational, there's a couple other ones, but transnational I'd say. And, and also I guess ESPN and others too, but the transnational in the ring is kind of what most people use as far as ranking a top 10 and, you know, go, go over there, go, go on over to that ranking system and, and see where they got Darrell. This guy's trashy saying this guy's, over the hill, he never was that good, and all that shit. So yeah, go over there, go go see what he's what he's ranked there, 
And, like, I get the Benavides. I understand Benavides' frustrations. But to act like – and this is kind of what this dude's angle is coming from. Like, dude, he just had his first loss, and he got knocked out. It's not crazy to come back. I mean, he could come back to a much softer touch on an undercard randomly or maybe at home, you know, and just fight a mediocre fighter and and then fight Benavides. But this whole ducking him right now, there's nothing wrong with fighting a, a contender coming off a knockout loss. Dude. That's just silly. And like I said, I understand the Benavides thinks you've got to be frustrated. Um, a lot of people – you know, on that narrative side, blaming Al Heyman. But Al Heyman offered Canelo his career-high payday up front at that time to fight Charlo and Benavides, by the way. Um, so, you know, remember, Benavides didn't have to lose his belt uh, from, you know, not being able to make weight. That would be the ultimate thing, where if Canelo started talking about being undisputed and want to collect belts, which prior to uh, this run at 168, he hadn't been really barking about that. But once he got some belts together, then he was talking about it. You know, kudos to him. But, if you know, if, if uh, Benavides hadn't lost his belt on the scale, he could be like, hey, he's got one belt left, but he's afraid. At least he'd have a lot more, I wouldn't say like major leverage, but you could at least be like he don't want it, and it's more believable because, hey, He's not fighting you. Not to say that Canelo necessarily wants this fight. Um, and I've already gone over that run of Canelo saying, hey, he didn't earn the fight, but then, you know, Yield Drum and Rocky Fielding and, you know, who did those guys beat to earn the fight too, if we're being honest? So anyway, um, I think it's a good fight. I think he's going to outbox him, but I I do see some adversity. I think Darrell um, – he will, like I said, inflict his style of coming forward, landing big shots, going to the body. I just think Plant will be a little too slick, a little too busy, that jab, the counter. I think he'll win the fight, but I wouldn't doubt if it's like a, I don't know, 8-4 to four fight, 9-3, to 7-5, maybe. If it turns out to be, because like I said, who's got to be, who's got to cheat, how do you say that dude's name? Um, you know, he had such, Plant had such a good, like, start. Remember, he knocked him down, and but dude kept coming and actually was landing some big shots on him. So I think Darrell will have success. Now, you could always say, and, and I'll be honest, I've already said he's he is past his prime. He is an aged fighter. He hasn't taken a ton of punishment of late, but, but he is an aged guy, so maybe he will fall off the shelf, you know, here and, and call it, you know, the cliff of his career and all of a sudden put in a bad performance. I mean, we saw him the fight before that put in a mediocre performance. So we'll see. I mean, the war of words between these two, I mean, it's personal. So Darrell, to me, seems like he's known about this fight for a while. Hopefully he's just stayed in shape. And, uh, yeah. Also, the rematch, because it got cut short, Emmanuel Rodriguez and Gary Antonio Russell, that should be an interesting fight. Frank Sanchez and Carlos Negron, uh, I think they lead it off as a 10-rounder. There is no Fox prelim. I believe they have UCLA and uh, Utah as the uh, Fox, I think at 7 o'clock, that kicks off maybe 6 o'clock Central. I don't know. Anyway, decent undercard. I mean, I really like the co-feature. I kind of like, you know, Frank Sanchez, Carlos Negron's a good, you know, good 
somewhat stepping stone type fight. The grown will bring it. It should be a good fight there. And, and I'm, I was interested in that Russell Rodriguez fight. It just, like I said, got cut short. So um, as far as the ESPN, like I said, once again, guys, LSU versus Florida starts at 7 uh, Eastern, 6 Central. And you know that unless – I mean, even if it's a blowout, they're not going to cut the game. You know what I mean? So usually it'll be over three hours, just so you guys know, especially on the East Coast. I'm sorry. But, you know, the undercard fights, if you want to see them, will probably be streaming on ESPN+. Plus. But if it's a tight game, 930, 920, not, anywhere from like not – well, I see. I say 9, that's my time. Um, anywhere from like 10 to 1030, this card will actually start broadcasting on ESPN. Because when you start at 7 o'clock Eastern, it's going to be at least a three-hour game, if not three hours, 15 minutes longer. And if it's tight, who knows? I'm just letting you guys know, uh, for the combination of the East Coasters, sorry, but also a lot of people are like, man, this sport sucks because ESPN won't cut in to an SEC you know, football game, even though other bigger football games have to wait you know, or, or get put on ESPNU or ESPN News. I always find it funny when people are like, that's what's wrong, man. ESPN is really screwing boxing. It's like, dude, look at the contracts, man. Look at the contracts for college football and the SEC on ESPN and look at the boxing. I mean, you can't – it happens in every sport. I just I – ha, I have this rant every time it happens because people – like I can understand the East Coasters. Don't get me wrong. You know, with the late start. I, on this one, I also get the network because they're like, I hear you, but it's going to be a huge lead. So we'll see. Hopefully it's just that one fight. Um, to be honest with you, maybe in that 30 minutes when the game's still on, the undercard fight will go. Because like I said, and then they go right to the main event or only like a little bit of lead in, maybe 10 minutes of talking about it or whatever. Uh, but I believe as of right now, you know how when you go in a guide and you go to record something, Sometimes it changes by the time that night comes. It's only a two-hour window, so they're not going to be able to fit three fights in there. So let's hope. Maybe it's a blessing that the game will go three hours and 30 minutes, and then they'll just come right into either the fight happening or that fight will be done, and they'll only have one more fight. We'll see. Anyway, uh, as far as the fight in the ring, I do see Haney doing more of what he did. Like I said, that jab uh, was pretty mean. Um, it was, it was tough to maneuver, you know, um, Cambosas really didn't have a ton of success. Uh, there were like these little, little short moments where he'd have a spurt of combos. He did get to the body, uh, pretty well early in the fight. There was some tit for tack type rounds, but the jab, the defense and actually jab to the body and, and, and counter shots, it just, um, I thought it was Haney's one of his best in the pocket performances. Um, I really did. He wasn't moving a whole lot. Uh, now was he going for the knockout per se? Not totally, but um, you know, Cambosa's gonna have to get. Like I said, he looks a little bit leaner. Um, he isn't talking the shit he was talking before. He's not talking about emperor shit or not the last emperor or anything like that. 
Um, like I said earlier, he's not – I haven't seen the, the corny-ass entrance into that press conference um, where he walked down the stairs and there was like 20 guys all dressed in like black and they, they were looking like mobsters basically. And that was a little – like Hitman or something. Uh, but, you know, hey, you got to promote. I'm not ripping them. But it was kind of cheesy in my opinion anyway. I like Trash Talk though. He's good at it. <laughs> but George was – I don't know. I, just some of the things he was saying down the stretch, it was like, really, dude? Okay, man. I mean, hey, you beat Tiafimo, I'll give you that. But uh, Haney's not going to fight like Tiafimo did, and sure enough, he didn't. But let's see. Maybe some of that minor, and I'm talking minor success, in those rounds that Cambosis, in those rounds where there's only like Haney will land 15 punches, he lands 8 or 12, you know? Like, can he land the bigger shot? Can he crowd him? Can he, like I said, look to the ref to be like, are you going to call something? He's got a rough out. He's got a rough out. By the way, um, 90 seconds left of the live stream. 646-381-4990 is the number to call. I like Haney by decision. I'm hoping just because, hey, this fight has to happen. I'm hoping for a more competitive fight. I just don't, I just think Haney will have the answer at every turn. That's it. Haney will have the answer at every turn. I think he can improve minorly on his performance. I think both of them can actually improve on their performance. Cambosis clearly will have to improve a lot more to win rounds. Um, but yeah, I like Haney to get that. You know, I think he'll get it. Um, Wilder by knockout. I don't know if I said that. Wilder by knockout. Um, but I don't know if it's like rounds three to five or if it's going to go further. I think Hellenius will get some of his shots in. And I did a, a pretty in-depth breakdown preview and prediction about a month ago for Shields and Marsher and uh, uh, Meyer and uh, Ermer and uh, Baumgartner. So I'm not going to go too deep. I remember watching that fight in the amateurs, the only amateur loss of Clarissa Shields, you know, double gold medal career. Um, it's funny because you could tell watching that fight, I remember saying it back then, that her style fit the pros more. It, it really felt that way. Um, and funny enough, in, in where, you know, power-wise, it looks like Clarissa doesn't have much. She hasn't scored a, a knockout since 2017. But, you know, the growth has been uh, Clarissa's all-around game. That's where the growth has come. And so, and it's it's difficult to even win, you know, rounds against her in her career, let alone enough to get the whole, to, to, to win the whole fight, you know. Um, and then Marshall, obviously, she has power. Um, when you look at on paper, you know, um, even that Lolito uh, female fighter, was Zia or something like that? It looks like a great win because I think she was like 17-0 and 0 or 16-0. and 0. Uh, She stopped her in the second round. Um, but you look more into Lolito, Lolito's resume, kind of short on quality wins there. Uh, Orozco took her 10 rounds. I think that's the last time she went the distance. Um but yeah, I mean Shields because of the length and the in you know Marshall 
has power, but she's looking to be on the outside. If you go watch that amateur fight, she was trying to be on the outside. She's trying to set up counters. She's trying to use her jabs, trying to use that length. And, um, you know, Shields is going to have to jab her way in, use that head movement, the upper body and head movement to land combinations when she's in there. Um, and, and like I said, I think Marshall will be looking to counter uh, with her right hand. That's, I mean, her left hook to a lesser extent, but especially her right hand. Um, and I remember, like I said, it was plus 100. I think that was the highest you could get. And now it's the opposite. That was for Shields. Now it's actually on Marshall. So it's a 50-50 fight. I do think unanimous decision. Um, I think unanimous decision, Clarissa Shields. I just think she's better than her. I think, uh, although, like John was saying, she's not necessarily going to be able to hurt her per se, or at least coming into this fight, she hasn't scored a lot of knockdowns, hasn't, uh, you know, maybe buzzed some females and put pressure on them. And, and, you know, got, tried to get her out of there. But Shields is a more patient, more skillful fighter, whereas she was more action-packed when she was an amateur trying to get, you know, uh, folks out of there. And uh, so I think she'll make the necessary adjustments if need be. And I don't think she'll she'll jab and, like I said, upper body movement her way in. And I think she'll be comfortable on, on the pocket, or in the pocket, I should say. I think she'll win the fight. Now, Michaela Meyer, Mayer and Alicia Baumgartner, this is a good fight. And I think that in that plus 180 to two, plus 230 range, I would take a flyer out on uh, Alicia Baumgartner. Um, now, Michaela does have the height and size. Um, it'll be interesting, though, to see if she actually uses it. Um, and judging by her recent fights, she's been putting a lot of pressure on. I, I think that she'll start fundamentally sound, though, behind the jab. Uh, um, I think she'll fight at this as the, the round starts to go. I think that she'll bring that aggression in that body work. That's something she's shown a lot more. So I do think she'll be, at some point, being the one that leads, you know, whereas Baumgartner, she has a different style. She doesn't have that straight up, uh, stand straight up, you know, uh, Eastern Euro or European stance, I should say. Um, she definitely fights more like, uh, stereotypical American, you know, uh, she crouches down. She's trying to counter. She's trying to land big flush shots, baiting her opponents to come in, putting her hands down, looking like there's an opening making a, a, an adjustment, pivoting, using a side, you know, maybe a side angle, and boom, landed a big shot. So, um, you know, I think Mayer probably has – they're both fast. We'll see who's faster there. The power, clearly. I think Baumgartner might be a little faster, but the power favors her. Now, there was that, that, that one fight that we'll see how much uh, Baumgartner has – Improved. That was that uh, Christina Lenartu, Lenarto. I can't remember how to say her name, but she actually brought the pressure. She was roughhousing Alicia. She was really like crowding her, and that's where I think, although maybe at the start, Mayor, you know, Michaela will 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 come out more fundamentally, more patient. I think she'll um, look to do a lot of that. To be honest with you. 
Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think it'll take a little while to heat up. I think they'll be painting and kind of, you know, poking their way around, seeing where the openings are. I think, like I said, Michaela will probably set the, the faster pace, and that's where we'll see Alicia, you know, will she be able to make her pay with her hand speed or counting, counterpunching, especially meaningful counterpunching, the, the circling, the pivot and all that. Um, so it's an interesting style matchup, and I want to see the adjustments, if any, that Alicia's made from that trouble she had, um, you know, in that close, close loss. Um, and that Christina, who, you know, who actually had beat her, she actually gave a good account of herself. Uh, I think it was 2019 against Katie Taylor, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. But this, to me, is a 50-50. Um, like I said, I think it's worthy to put out some uh, put out a flyer on on the underdog here. Um, Michaela probably has kind of a mixture of scoring points, but also trying to do damage to the body and head, like just being busy. So I think that that's she might have a little bit more path, more maybe like another path to victory. Whereas let's see, you know, if she can actually come forward like that and not. Uh, you know, get countered with meaningful punches. Um, so about a month ago, I think I picked Baumgartner by a split decision. Um, and I'm right in there. I could also see a majority decision, um, you know, for Michaela. I know that sounds kind of funky, right? That sounds kind of like, oh, you're in between. I am just going to go split decision. Um, my original um, prediction for Bob Gardner. Maybe she'll land something that will really uh, mare tentative because that's what she's going to have to do. And uh, that's the biggest thing. How has Alicia um, made those adjustments? You know, has she made adjustments since then? Uh, so that's kind of uh, that's about all for preview and predictions. Um, I think that's about all I'll get to. Now, actually, Andrew Maloney is in with the Jimenez. And I'll say that. That actually is a good fight. I do want to mention that. I think, you know, on the books, it's a it's a fairly tight fight. In fact, let me check it out. I, I wouldn't doubt if Jimenez is just a slight underdog, maybe like a two-to-one, little under, little round. Let's see here. So, plus 205 plus 175, plus 168. So, and that, that'll be the fight, I believe, that is going to be on. So, hopefully that's a good, you know, keep that large audience coming off that LSU-Florida game, SEC game on ESPN. Hopefully that fight, if in fact they're going to, I assume they're going to keep the order, um, hopefully that fight pops off. And it's a good fight that, like I said, keeps everybody engaged. Um, but we'll see. We'll, we'll definitely see on that one. Um, right now, I'm, I'm having a little issues with my switchboard. It's like freezed up. I know there were some people that got in before the live stream um, ended. I, I, I have reached out for help on that, so hopefully I, I get that. Um, last time I saw it, I didn't see anybody that had pressed one. You know, it is what it is. 
as far as news goes, um, there's a, 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 a little variety of stuff that I'm going to get to. Um, there was a story uh, by um, – I can't remember who wrote the story. I think it was a gentleman by the last name, Castillo. Um, for boxing scene, he wrote a story about Ugas. Your Dennis Ugas is cleared to train, aims for big things in 2023. Uh, that is the headline. Obviously, he you know had some issues there with his eye. Um, you know, in that Errol Spence uh, fight, said uh, Ugas needed several months to recover um, after Errol Spence. After the Errol Spence fight, thank God the doctor allowed me to train full contract but we are not going to the fight yet. Uh, let's keep training. They have been uh, difficult months, but I, I was seeing double with a lot of discomfort. Been a war, but um, it's one more. What's the, I think the quote got cut off. I always had faith that I was going to return. So it looks like he did actually have a pretty serious, I mean, it, it looked like a pretty bad injury to that eye. So he, he sounds like he did have some serious stuff here. Um, I'm hoping to compete, but it was a long recovery next year. I hope to return with a good fight. We are going to look to be champion again. We have uh, great fights and we'll, we've already, you know, been a champion and whatnot. He, you know, he talks about, uh, Manny Pacquiao and, and all that stuff. Um, according to several reports, whether it's the Telegraph, uh, sport, um, seconds out. Basically, that they're, the front runner is Derek Chisora. That's what it looks like. Uh, in fact, you know, the trilogy, right? Uh, it's claimed that the pair have agreed to terms to meet December 3rd in Cardiff. And here's a recent quote uh, talking about that Derek Chisora fight in the trilogy for the trilogy. He said, in my opinion, Chisora at least got a draw with Alexander Usyk. So I see Chisora every bit as dangerous as Usyk, um, if it is Chisora. And it's like, one thing I'll say is, like, I don't know about at least the draw, you know, meaning Chisora probably could have won maybe, if that's what he means. Um, Now, what I'll say, though, is it was a tight-ass fight. Comparatively, now that we've seen him in the two Joshua fights, it was a fight that he didn't look good as far as the weight transition. Uh, he didn't look good. That He didn't look good much at all. He looked like he was kind of – wasn't moving that well, not nearly as well as he was against Joshua. So it is what it is. Um, Eddie Hearn came out on IFL TV and talked about, you know, the Eubank Jr. and Ben stuff. Um one of the quotes is, when I say there's a lot of righteous people giving opinions, I see people from Sky particularly. I look back to the Dillian White situation and how they were involved in that process as well. It baffles me. Um, but, you know, I mean, Eddie's really been a walking contradiction, uh, especially with the whole Vada thing. By the way, over the weekend, I forgot, on Friday on uh, Pro Box TV, there was an upset. Um, Brandon Leoncito, I think it is, Leoncito, I think that's his nickname, Benavidez, or Benavidez, he pulled off an upset, I think it was a split decision, if I remember correctly, over Zukon, the monster. Um, And that was, you know, the first fight 
uh, back from his loss from Lee Wood. Uh, the scorecards were 97-93, one for Khan, and then two for Benitez, uh, 96-94, both of them. So that's something I forgot to talk about. Uh, middleweight uh, Islam uh, scored a win over Masil as well. Um, he he actually late, what was it, under a minute or so, something like that, under a minute, he did drop him, knocked him down and whatnot. But uh, also Caesar Francis, who looked good a little while ago, like a couple months back, he actually had, um, I think it was an uppercut, if I remember correctly, in the second round. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. <laughs> Let's see where, you know, how he moves. Um, there was another prospect that's like 6-0. I can't remember. This is a report, just a quick little report from Mail Sport saying Connor Ben's positive body drug test uh, is now set to formally be investigated by UCAT. Um, and, you know, they put out the, it's claimed that Ben could face a ban up to four years if uh, he's unable to prove his innocence, uh, provide, or provide, yeah, God, I not that word ago. But, you know, I mean, I wonder if they're going to act, just put him under, like, strict testing and see if they can, you know, to make sure he's coming up clean again and again and again. It'll be really interesting to see, uh, you know, what happens there. Um, but I don't know. I'm not really sure. Um, people have reached out to me. Once again, I'm, I'm having problems with my switchboard. It just I can't see any callers right now. It just froze up. And I'm trying to get help for it, but there's not a whole lot left in the show. So, you know, um, it is what it is. Um, and by the way, if if one of the callers that is in is Al, um, it's all good. We'll, we'll, we'll hook up in the future. Um, and in fact, um, he actually put out a story not long ago, a few days ago. Thursday or Friday? I think it was Friday. About uh, Spence Crawford, you know, we were going to talk about that interview, but you know, they we saw like the different dates that have been thrown around as far as uh, TGB. We, we talked about that on Thursday, actually. How uh, January seventh, February fourth? I think there's a is it January twenty eighth or something like that? I think there's two or three. I think it was three that they have reserved at the MGM, um, if I remember correctly. It's December 7th, maybe the 28th and the 4th. Um, and, you know, he, he actually has a report out that uh, seemed pretty positive, obviously, you know. Um, a lot of people were really kind of stuck on that November 19th date, and it's not like that was, like, announced officially or something like that. So... I think people just kind of look at the calendar at the MGM and in Vegas in general and even across the country and, and, and in Atlanta. We've heard now reports of there's a, a potential spot for him to fight in Atlanta. So just in case, probably as a backup, maybe it's going to be there, though, too. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it sounds like they do want to have, you know, he go, Al goes on to saying his 
you know, in his uh, article that, um, you know, they want a runway here. Uh, and obviously if it is on Showtime and CBS, which he was, which he reports as well, that, you know, think about it in January, they have the NFL playoffs. Um, and if it's February 4th, the weekend before, uh, they would have the, the conference final on Sunday. I think they have the, if I remember correctly, they have the NFC. Um, no, it's oh, my bad, my bad. That's usually Fox. The AFC is usually on there, not to mention the other, the wild card weekend, the divisional weekend, and the conference finals. So they can definitely uh, – we're just so used to Fox when they have a when they have a, a fight, they really promote it, um, like a lot. Like Fox and FS1, I've seen that. And this is a smaller fight, of course, but Wilder – I've seen the Wilder Hellenius commercial lots of times. I was talking to people uh, at a bar the other night. They're like, hey, what's that fight coming on? Blah, blah, Wilder, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So um, I do remember, and I used this example the last time we talked about it with the Wilder Fury num- number one when that was just on Showtime. It was on Showtime pay-per-view, but I'm saying it wasn't split with Fox and ESPN. And they, they had the uh, – it was right on conference uh, – college conference finals, and which is usually the first – if it's a non-COVID year, obviously, the first weekend in December. It's usually that Saturday is the conference finals. Uh, like the Pac-12 sometimes will do like a Friday night, um, but that's it. Usually it's on Saturdays. And during like a – I think it was – was it Alabama, Georgia that year? But during a very important part of the game, late in the game, they had a Wilder Fury commercial right there. And it was a great tie-in because obviously, you know, Wilder's from Alabama. And that's who, um, they could, you know, it, it, just judging by his uh, article, which you can read at the Insider, by the way, Insider, and you can follow, follow Al Dawson. He's a you know, great reporter. That's why we wanted to have him on. And like I said, Al, if you're on here, I can't tell who's on or not. But if you are on, um, we'll definitely have you on here in the future. I can't even unmute people or do anything with my switchboard right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he makes it sound like, you know, the, the, the powers that be, his sources, that it could be January, maybe it's February. Um, so we'll see, you know. Um there is a quote in here um, about that ESPN Michael Coppinger report uh, that there's a dispute in the contract details, and it goes on. He goes on to say Spence Crawford, Premier Boxing Champion Heyman, all want this, as the source uh, told the Insider. Um, speaking to Showtime Sports after that, everybody knows. Okay, where's the quote? I think it's gonna happen. Blah 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 blah. But the way they, they made it sound like that's, that's not accurate. We've heard uh, Espinosa come out and say that that's, that's not accurate, uh, that it's not. Oh, here we go. It's right there in the quote. Uh, the primary source on the uh, – he said, he said, be mused when told about that. So the primary source basically kind of shrugged it off, be mused about that report saying that there's a big, major dispute in the contract detail. And it, it sounds like – they're just trying to wait for the right time and plan it out properly, which makes a lot of sense because on the same breath, 
and I've heard a lot of I've heard too many people on, on podcasts and YouTube channels and even on Twitter just say, if this fight happens in January or February, F it man, I'm not watching it. It's like come on, dude, are you serious? And obviously they're probably just well, they may just whine like that all the time, but that's ridiculous. You know, because on the same prep, if it was November nineteenth, they wouldn't have enough time to promote it and they'd probably rip the PBC for that. So um, if it, if you got to wait January, February rather than November, December, what, what are we complaining about here? What, what are we really complaining about? That would be ridiculous. Anyway, um, since my switchboard is not working right now, um, I'm going to have to kind of shut this puppy down. I don't have a lot more for you, um, but enjoy the fights this weekend. I am going to be back more of a normal time. Like I said, I had to do this Sunday show kind of randomly because my schedule's different this week and I'm going out of town. That's why it's all kind of pushed up. Anyway, enjoy the fights this weekend. Hopefully we get an entertaining weekend. It looks like on paper we should. Hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully Cambosis gives Haney something to think about. Like I said, since this fight's happening, it might as well be more competitive because it's you know, the first one wasn't. Anyway, I'm going to get out of here. Enjoy the fights. Peace. Once you become the world champion, I believe that you feel you have the upper hand. So now, when, as you fight, let's say you fight for five years of straight survival, of the bullshit, of the whole bag, and when you become the world champion, you're like, you know what, that made it. I'm going to show you it's this. So I'm going to get any, every dollar worth. Uh, 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 what I deserve. Why? Because I'm the world champion.